Chat. Malcolm Turnbull announced that the laws of maths do not apply here. <laughs> One of my favourite brands of comedy aerial is brown people and black people making fun of white people. Senators have been dropping like flies recently. Shouting out the fact that in the Knowles Carter family, women just have one name. Backchat on FBI Radio. You're listening to Backchat, the freshest wrap of news and current affairs on your radio. I am Ariel Bogle. And I'm Osmond Faruqi. <laughs> that is not true. That's not true. What's uh, your name? <laughs> what's your name? My name is Madison Kanon. And I'm Swatha Das. And we're your new hosts for Backchat. But I really don't think anyone has realised that we've swapped over. Well, no one in the FBI studio no, has. I'm no. outside. Someone literally was like, hi, Oz. It may be because Oz is in the studio with us because we don't actually know how to use any of the technical things yet. <laughs> Thanks for helping us out. Thanks for saving our life, Oz. Uh, we how, have so much to talk about today. I know. There's a lot of news this week. So we've had Anzac Day. No no big controversies that I saw on the internet. Thank God. Uh, I did not Royal get on Commission. Twitter on Anzac Day. <laughs> no, I stayed off too. No. Banking Royal Commission ticked over. A lot of stuff happening there. Pill testing got the green light in the uh, in the ACT, and we actually have Brad Esposito from BuzzFeed coming in to talk about that. And there's also something happening North Korea, South Korea. Can you tell me a bit about that? You know what? It is really exciting and just totally unprecedented. So there was a huge high-stakes summit that happened uh, just yesterday between the North Korean president, Kim Jong-un, and the South Korean Compre- Korean president Moon, um, and it's the first time they've been um, they've ever met in a in a decade um, between the two countries, and they met at the demilitarization zone between South Korea and North Korea, um, and basically the talk ended the Korean War. This is after sixty five years of hostilities. It's done. It's done. Well, not really. So there's <laughs> there's going to be more developments to really. Uh, solidify this peace deal, the US and China who are involved in the Korean War have to come in, uh, which will be exciting because they've both publicly gone on the record to support this. Trump actually tweeted, Korean War to end in caps on Mm. Twitter. So you know that this is legit. Um, It's really exciting. Yeah. So when you say it ended the war, like what have we got out of it? What is the like tangible things that came out of this talk? So uh, one of them is that they signed a peace treaty for denuclearization, which I think the whole world is thankful for. And it's a big deal. Um, Also, they want to unify South Koreans with their long-lost North Korean families after the split. And I think the most interesting thing is, I actually got to visit the DMZ zone, and uh, between the split from North Korea, they play propaganda music. And to counteract that, South Korea plays K-pop music on blast. And one of the things that come out of the deal is that they will suspend uh, the propaganda broadcast, which I'm quite disappointed about because I love the K-pop. I actually grew up um, near Frankston and they used to, in Victoria, and they uh, blasted opera music to try and stop people from fighting. So I think I would weigh rather if they had blasted K-pop. (laughs) <laughs> did that work? No, it did not work. You just opened a can of worms. I really want to talk about that. <laughs> Next week. We will. We'll talk about it. But, I mean, this is fascinating because I think it really does represent this new change of, I guess, like a progressive South Korea because they've had years of quite conservative rule. So this new president, he's quite cool. He's actually the child of refugees from North Korea, and he grew to prominence as a student activist. He's center-left, and one of his main policies was bringing North Korea and South Korea together. And it looks like he's achieving that. That's amazing. So he he is loved by young Koreans. Yes. So Hated by older Koreans. I mean, yeah. So he came off the back of 
President Pakene. And so President Pakene is, I think a few weeks ago, got sentenced, sentenced to 25 years in prison for abuse of power and bribery. So not good. And she's the child of a former dictator of mm. South Korea. So there's just a legacy of kind of, I guess, like, um, South Koreans feeling really like despondent with their government. And so after she went to jail, President Moon came in and now young people are really excited and they see great change and how Korea is going to move forward. Cool. I think we actually have a grab of what Kim Jong-un thinks about the, the talk that's happened. And this is translated. So, yes, so, it's, so it it's, I think it's a female voice speaking, but it's sort of what from Kim Jong-un. It took us a long time for the two Koreas to come together and to hold hands together. And we have long waited for this moment to happen, all of us. And since, uh, as I stand here today, I can see that uh, uh, South and North Koreas are the same people, the same blood, that they cannot be separated together. Great. So that um, will be something to keep an eye on, I guess, as, as these talks continue. Definitely. Um, but something big that happened in Australia this week is that Groove in the Moo Festival, which is kind of all, all around Australia, but the Canberra Festival in particular, gave the green light to pill testing, um, which has been something that drug reform advocates have been pushing for for years and years. Um, and we actually have Brad Esposito from BuzzFeed in the studio to have a chat about it. Thank you so much for coming in. No worries. Thanks for having me. With an ear infection. Yeah, I'm, battling I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess what I'm super curious about this, and, and I've reported on it a little bit, so Swetha, you're going to be the, the everyday festival goer punter in this, and I, I have some some informed questions. Great. <laughs> Let's establish that dynamic. <laughs> but I guess the main thing is, like, everyone I've talked to about this is, like, like Australia is kind of a nanny state. Like, how the hell did this get across the line in Australia? Sure, sure. So I guess it's important to know it didn't happen quickly. There's uh, this one guy, he's an emergency doctor, his name is David Caldecott. Um, he's like a Patch Adams, Robin Williams kind of figure that when you meet him, he's just full of wit, but he's also incredibly intelligent. And he's been campaigning for safer drug policy for the last 15 years in Australia. Um, and in 2005, in South Australia, he actually did hold one of these pill testing events at a festival to kind of show what we have seen in Europe from the mid-90s, that this form of drug harm minimization does work. Uh, so if you think about that, he did that first test in South Australia in 2005, and now it's 2018. So that's it's not quick. 13 years. Yeah. Wait, is my maths right? 13 years. Great. It's early. <laughs> <laughs> so the last, like, three or four years have been when it's really gotten a lot of the attention of the media and also of a few politicians. Um, I think in 2016 is when Caldecott and his organisation, STA Safe, came out and said look, we're going to really start campaigning for this. And they went to New South Wales, Victoria, Western Australia, all the states and territories and said, it's important because we're having overdoses at festivals and people don't know what they're taking that we raise the issue of pill testing a bit more. And um, he kind of got knocked back by quite a few people. Uh, Mike Baird's government at the time were not impressed. Toy Grant, Toy Grant, Troy Grant, the uh, Minister for Police, he was also not impressed. They very much run along the mantra of if you don't want to get harmed from drugs, do not take drugs, which seems to have been, um, depending on what you think, successful or unsuccessful for the last 100 years. Uh, 
And then they went to Victoria and Daniel Anders Daniel Andrews said, No way. Same thing. Best way to avoid getting hurt from drugs is to not take drugs. Which is a bit surprising because you'd think yeah. Daniel Andrews, he's a Labour Premier, he's been progressive on some things, but not drug reform. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. I mean, if you look at the way he's approached cannabis regulation, medical cannabis regulation, where he's been all about the research, uh, it's strange because there's research backing pill testing going back 20 years that does kind of prove that it is sort of effective in minimising harm, and yet he was not having a bar of it. So then they eventually kind of settled on the ACT, which likes to kind of promote itself as being quite progressive at a state government level. Uh, and that kind of came to a head last year in 2017. There was a music festival called Spilt Milk, and it looked like until a week before the festival, it was, it was finally going to happen. I, I was talking to David on the phone, and he was like, yep, it's going through. So excited. Let's write some stories about how awesome this is going to be. And then the next day... It just had the plug pulled from it. Uh, and it's kind of controversial who you believe. Um, the festival s- said that STA Safe and David didn't put enough kind of forms in because the festival was being held on Commonwealth grounds and they needed to have, I guess, permission from the Commonwealth and they did not get that. Uh, and then on the other side of the coin, you have the campaigners kind of saying, well, obviously someone in federal government or a bit higher up has whispered in someone's ear and said, hey, this is not going ahead. So that did not happen. And then we finally get here to yesterday, pretty much, or Thursday evening, I think it was announced, when everyone got together, ACT Police, ACT Health, ACT Government, the Groove and the Move Festival itself, and it finally got fully approved to happen. And now it really, really looks like it's going to happen, but I will believe it when it happens. And the festival's on Sunday, so this is like really down to the wire with getting a yes for pill yeah. testing on this. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, sorry. I don't want to be the conspiracy theorist here, <laughs> but I'm going to be because this That's great. does not make sense. Okay, so the spilt milk thing actually was there. Um, and like it seemed, I don't know, I just... If federal government didn't want it to happen, it would, it feels like they should want it to happen because it's a great way to just gather everyone who's taking drugs and then just blanket arrest them all. <laughs> like, I do not get why they don't want it to happen. Well, I, in one way, I, I would love to see the media reaction to the government uh, setting up a mousetrap for a bunch of young people. Is that entrapment? Yeah, That's- yeah, yeah. Isn't it a brilliant way? No, I still... <laughs> sorry, I don't understand this. Is this not a trap? Is this not a scam? Just to paint your picture, Sweth is actually wearing a tin hat right now. <laughs> looping red string between photos in the studio. Uh, it's not a scam because, you know, um, what, what it's going to be... I'll give you an idea of what it's going to be set up like. So there's going to be a tent out the front of the festival uh, that's going to be clearly labelled... Uh, the ACT police have already said they're not going to be policing that area. They're not going to be going into the tent and grabbing someone and saying, you have pills, you're coming with us. That's not going to happen. But they will be in the festival itself. So there's going to be that tent and you'll be able to go in, talk to some health professionals if you want to give them whatever you're planning on taking. And then there's about a 20-minute process where they use some pretty laboratory-grade equipment. I'm not talking about the $15 stuff you can buy off eBay that gives you a a colour test back that says it's safe or not. This is going to tell you how much MDMA is in there, if there's, like, creatine or caffeine or some other kind of pointless thing that's cut in there. And in that 20 minutes, while they're testing it, they're also going to be able to talk to you and say, hey, are you 
Uh, do you have any other kind of medical issues? Do you have any other medications that you take that might kind of conflict with your plans of taking drugs today? This is wild. Sorry. So they come into the tent and then the healthcare professional is like, after 25 minutes, they're like, cool, 100% MDMA. See ya. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope it's 100% MDMA. <laughs> My it will not be 100% I, MDMA and if it is, like, in Australia. <laughs> And if it is, I really hope they don't go, see ya. <laughs> like, but, um, but like, they're like, cool, it's a, it's a drug. I yeah, mean. well, they're not going to say cool. Uh, the, the attitude is, is not to condone the taking of drugs. Right. The attitude is um, to say people are taking drugs. So how do we kind of get people a bit more informed on what they're taking? Because we have seen over the last couple of years a lot of drug overdoses and a lot of issues related to illicit substances that come from people maybe taking a risk or not fully understanding what's in the pill they're swallowing. Uh, and, and that's a big issue. So the police, their job seems to be to stop the supply, right? But then what I think STA Safe and David Caldecott are trying to do is to kind of stop demand or to minimise demand. I think that something as well that is um, unique about the ACT, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, but the police there are federal, like more like a federal police, whereas in you know New South Wales and Victoria you're looking at more local police that have to be at festivals. And it seems like the AFP has always kind of been more interested in large-scale seizures at the border rather than someone smuggling two pills in, in their pocket into a yeah. festival. Yeah, definitely. So the attitude is just kind of different in the ACT more generally about about drug use, I guess. Yeah, interesting. I mean, like, what do you think would be the larger effect of this? Like, do you think there's going to be a change in how we view drug uh, taking in the country? Well, I think I don't want to. I don't like saying young people, but I think the younger generation, or if I dare say it, millennials, already have an approach to drug taking that is a bit more aware and a bit more conscious. But. Uh, what I would hope from this pill testing is that it is successful and that they can, STA Safe can turn around and say, look, this many people chose to throw away their pills because they had really harmful substances in it, or this many people chose to keep it. You know, you're going to have a whole database from this that can then be used to feed to other states and territories to kind of influence them and maybe taking it on as well. If we look at the other side of it, though, and like, how do you think the media will react if a single person has an overdose at Groove in the Moo this weekend? Yeah, that that is going to be interesting. Um, SDA Safe have already come out and offered the festival uh, legal immunity. So there was a lot of press before any of this got the green light that, hey, what's going to happen if you test someone's pills and then they still go and take it and then something happens, they overdose or whatever. Uh, and really... It remains to be seen what the reaction will be. We just have to kind of wait and see and hope that it doesn't turn out that way. Uh, but I would like to think that if you have people going into uh, the drug testing and, and they get told that you have a harmful drug, that that person is not going to take it. Ah, oh, great. Well, this is fascinating. I think it's going to be great to see how this sets a precedent for the rest of the year. Yeah. Especially comes, we have huge festivals coming up, Splendour and stuff. I think, where do you reckon this would roll out next after Canberra? Um, it, probably definitely not in New South Wales and probably not Victoria. Uh, I could see Western Australia, though, being, being a spot. 
Well, great. I mean, I'd love for people to text in and tell us what they think about pill testing. They can text us on 0409-945-945. But first, we have a song. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much, Brad, for coming in. No worries. So that was The Harpoons with Do You Want My Love? And now we've got actually a special guest in the studio to speak about the NDIS. Yeah, so it's been announced that the federal government has scrapped their plans to raise the Medicare levy from 2 to 2.5%, which was a core part of Treasurer Scott Morrison's federal budget speech in 2017. This levy would have raised $8 billion for the NDIS over four years. But unfortunately, the government struggled to raise Senate support for this initiative. Let's hear what Paralympic gold medalist Kurt Fernley had to say about this. I don't mind whether you, whether you increase the NDIS. We just need certainty of funding, not for two years, not for four years, not for 10 years. People's disabilities lives don't live and die around an election. We're here for good. And if you want to make permanent gains, you've got to give permanent funding. Here to talk to us more about these changes is Robin Eames. They're a poet, writer, honest student, and one of the disability officers at the University of Sydney. Thanks for coming in, Robin. Hello. So I do not know much about the NDIS, so I'm going to ask the very simple question. What is the NDIS? And if it was fully funded, what would that mean for Australians with disabilities? So the NDIS is the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um, the idea is that it's it's um, supported by the National Disability Insurance Agency and they are an organisation who their goal is essentially just to support disabled people to like live full lives and to access like needed supports to access mobility aids to access like you know transport ways of getting out into the community it's like part of a project basically of deinstitutionalization um and it's something that disability activists in Australia have been working on pretty much for the last four decades it's been very warped in rollout um and in a lot of horrible ways it's like become more of a project of privatization and it's being framed as like an issue of consumer choice like oh with this scheme like disabled people can choose you know which providers you like get support from um when really the issue is whether we get support at all um and like i don't think people realize how much disabled people are not supported in this country um and like we're a fifth of the general population and like part of the reason that um, there have been so many problems with rollout is because, like, they have been rushing because people are dying. Man, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the government says that it can raise the $8 billion elsewhere, but I guess that's quite an abstract concept. Is there any comfort to hearing that? No, like, Scott Morrison spent a year saying that that's, like, impossible, and now he's turning around because he wants to announce an income tax break and doesn't want to announce a rise at the same time. I guess as someone looking from the outside, the the thing about getting the $8 billion from elsewhere is that this budget, we have extra tax receipts. We can find that money elsewhere. But what happens if, you know, there's an economic downturn? Like, building in a structural thing like a Medicare levy would mean that this was definitely funded, whereas, like, finding money from elsewhere and hoping that the budget works out that there's $8.8 billion. Yeah. And also, like, the NDIS is struggling now. Like, we don't want to find out in a year or two that it's just 
like there's no hope and we've mucked it up and we don't have the money because that's going to mean like literally people die um like people are going to die without this funding like the time to muck around with it isn't like now before it's certain if we fund it and then we find out that we have surplus then like deal with it then um but at the moment like we're just kind of sitting here going like oh I guess I'll die <laughs> like um, you are at the University of Sydney doing mm-hmm. your honours. I read um, a piece, you've written quite a lot about your experiences at UCID, um, but there was one in particular when you spoke about that you had trouble accessing a seminar that you had to do for your honours, right? Can you talk a little bit about what happened when you told your supervisor that you couldn't get into the lecture theatre? Um, he basically kind of said it was my problem and I should drop out and like try again next year. Drop out of your um, yeah, I'll drop out of my honours year um, because he was like, oh, it's too late, like, you can't catch up now. And I was like, well, you're supposed to have been recording them. Like, I've been doing all the readings. There weren't any assignments due yet. Um, and, like, I'd let him know before semester started that I was a wheelchair user and would need to be able to access the lecture theatre. And my other seminar professor was, like, incredible and, like, told him on the same day and he ran off to the room that we were going to be having the seminar in and like took pictures of it and took pictures of the route and like wrote up a little map for me and like apologized for the elevator music. <laughs> <laughs> um and oh. but the other the other yeah, seminar the other one, no. just <laughs> is that frustrating because it's like it would be so easy for them to just record their lecture. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean like some lectures kind of have some hesitancy about it because like they don't want their kind of I don't know, their like intellectual property being distributed but like people can not like it's not like if you don't record it people are going to just show up if you don't record it people just aren't going to get that content and like one of the main things I've struggled with as a student is like just getting to my lectures and attendance like not just being able to get in the room but like being able to maintain that level of like leaving the house and going out and interacting with people and like pushing myself around um and like other than that I'm an HD student but like I nearly absent failed my last undergrad unit like just because of attendance. Well I understand USIN has a disability action plan but how is that going? Um the existing disability action plan is actually quite good the problem is that the university hasn't really been following it um Mm. and I'm like on the planning team like for the next one but one of the kind of issues we're running into is that like it's not that the last plan was flawed, it's just the university hasn't been carrying it out. Mm. And, like, I guess what can you do to make its campus more wheelchair accessible and have better support for students with disabilities? Um, well, like, they've spent a lot of money on, like, renovations and grounds and, you know, building, like, new new buildings. Like, there's a new um, museum art gallery they're putting in, but, like, that, you know, none of their like funding decisions are about accessibility really and like there are ways in which the you know like a thing I run into a lot is people going like oh it just must be hard because the buildings are so old and they're heritage listed and you can't do anything that's not actually true like if everything was full of asbestos it wouldn't be like oh it's just that old we can't (laughs) too bad (laughs) and also like there's things like the cobblestones on eastern avenue those were put in in 2004 like the hell, I hate them. <laughs> that's like the bane of my life. Yeah, and people are like, oh, it's too bad, you know, the cobblestones. I'm like, no, that's just like colonial nostalgia. <laughs> They're not old. Colonial nostalgia is a great way of describing this university. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to us, Robin. I think we learned a lot and yeah. we definitely will be following um, how the NDS is going and the Medicare uh, levy and uh, in our future episodes. Definitely. Yeah. I don't think the story is going away anytime soon. Yeah. And we're actually almost out of time, but just before we go, we've got some texts, Swetha. Oh, my and God. Positive <laughs> my mum texted in? Yeah, your mum did text in. Oh. Um, she said you were doing a terrible job. Great. <laughs> um, but we've actually got one from Steve in Newtown that said, thanks for the pill testing info. Um, with overdosing at festivals, is it possible to overdose on one pill or is that when people take five pills? What's the process of testing and how much do they destroy the pill? A lot of questions. Um, I can actually answer the last one. Mm. They just need a tiny scraping of your drugs. So they don't need to destroy the whole pill. Um, It would just be like scraping a tiny little bit off. Um, And overdose, it can um, be talking about taking one pill that might be a bad pill, adulterated, or you could take too many. So it could be one or the other one or the other um i think that's that's all we've got time for thank you for being my co-host oh my god thank you ariel for being my co-host i'm so glad oh i love this um and also thanks to our producers natalie sekolovska and emilia Zhao. they're amazing they're the best i thank all for them every day thank you and thanks to us and to us just sitting next to us and breathing heavily (laughs) uh we're gonna leave you with a song uh this is voya by ay enjoy